0: The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Next on Life Today, Sheila Walsh responds to viewer questions about the challenges of marriage.
1: You know, when I got married, I thought things were going to be amazing, and I thought my husband was a certain kind of person. When we dated, it was really different. And it was almost like before the ink was dry on our papers, everything seemed to change. And the question was, how do I live in a situation like that? that's not what I thought it was gonna be and still honor God. Hi, I'm Sheila Walsh, welcome to Life Today. I hope you realize that one of our main The main things in our heart here is that we're able to really minister to you where you find yourself at this very moment. You know, some of you might be in some of the best days of your life and some of you might be in the most challenging days of your life. But I want you to know before we ever begin a program, there's a whole team of us here and we pray for you. We ask God that he would speak directly to you. You know, we all do our homework and we bring the best we have, but we understand that it's the Holy Spirit who can touch you exactly where you need to hear his voice. One of the things I've heard a lot of people asking about recently is, what do you do when you have somebody who is going through something that is pretty devastating? A young girl wrote to me and she said, my aunt um, had breast cancer and my uncle and my aunt have been so in love since the day they got married. And recently my aunt lost her battle And I know she's home with Jesus and I celebrate that. But she said, what I'm dreading is encountering my uncle at her memorial service, because I don't know what to say. I don't feel as if I have the right words. And honestly, I understand that. Sometimes when people are hurting and struggling, you think, gosh, I really don't know what to say. So I spent some time really studying about that and also included actually some of it um in my in my book it's okay not to be okay and we had uh, a bunch of our very faithful supporters who came in the studio and that's one of the things I talked about what do you say when you don't know what to say Sometimes if we know someone in our church, or family is going through a really difficult time, maybe facing cancer or dealing with something or maybe the loss of a child, something that seems unthinkable, sometimes we stay away because we think, I don't know what to say. There is no right thing to say, but what you can give is the gift of your presence. Just being there. I remember Barbara Johnson used to say, when the pain is the freshest, the words should be the fewest. But just a gift, in fact, I was thinking, when we used to live in Nashville, one of our friends, a family that was in our small group um, from church, they went through the heartache of burying not just one baby, but two. They both were carriers of a particular gene, and I thought the first funeral was hard, but the second funeral was even harder. Darnly little boy, lived only about six months. And in our small group, we took turns. Um, you know, We would do the laundry or clean the house or make meals. And then one night it was my turn just to make dinner for the family. And So I took it over and the husband and the son were in the kitchen, but I asked um, where the wife was and they said, oh, she's upstairs in the baby's room. So I set out the meal for them and, and the husband and son sat down and started to eat, but I went upstairs and knocked on the baby's room door There's no answer, so I just kind of gently opened it, and there was my friend, sitting on the floor, holding a little pair of his baby shoes. And you know what, all I did was, I sat beside her on the floor, and we wept for an hour. I didn't say a single word. Because what do you say? What do you say when somebody is walking through something unthinkable? And sometimes we think, well, what would be the right scripture verse? And there's times when you just know that God has given you a word for someone, you know, a scripture that will just absolutely, you know, speak to where they are. But don't ever be afraid of just the gift of your presence to share. It's, I call it the companionship of suffering, of entering into something with someone so that they know that they are not alone. So when I face those kind of um, difficult situations. Sometimes all I do is, is listen, or hold someone, or sometimes just weep with them. But I've been thinking a lot recently after I got several questions that kind of came in the same vein on my Facebook page. And it was dealing with people saying, I'm in a really challenging marriage. You know, when I got married, I thought things were gonna be amazing, and I thought my husband was a certain kind of person. When we dated, it was really different. And it was almost like before the ink was dry on our papers, everything seemed to change. And the question was, how do I live in a situation like that, that's not what I thought it was gonna be and still honor God? And I took that question really seriously and I began to study God's word. And the perfect person that speaks to that is a woman named Abigail. Abigail's story is one of the most remarkable stories in scripture. We find her story um, in 1 Samuel, chapter 25. I I love the fact that her name means, my father is joy. What a beautiful name. And I'm pretty sure that's where she found her strength, because her husband, Nabal, (sighs) brought no joy, no joy to her life. Actually, his name meant fool and boy, did he live up to it. He was, he was a very, very difficult man. And Abigail shows this. How to stand strong when your dreams are deferred. Let me read you a couple of verses. It says, 1 Samuel 25, one through three says this. Then David, because it's at the same time, David and Abigail's paths are gonna cross. This is a time when Saul, the king of Israel, has lost his mind. It's a terrible thing when a leader has lost the ability to hear the voice of God. He has turned away and the Lord has removed a spirit from him. And so Saul is hunting David to try and kill him. So David is on the run with about 600 men and he's hiding in a cave. So then David moved to the wilderness of Maon. There was a wealthy man from Maon who owned owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and it was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nebal, and his wife, Abigail, was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nebal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all his dealings. You know, in those days, women had very little say in who they were to marry. And he probably seemed like a good catch for Abigail's father. You know, he's a wealthy man, And I'm sure her father thought, this is someone who'll be able to take care of my daughter. But I wonder how many days it took for Abigail to realize that what she was now married into was a devastating situation. When he's described as crude crude and mean in all his dealings, I'm sure he was that way with her, but I'm sure he was that way with all the people who worked for them too. It's really hard when you watch someone that you love incredibly mean to everyone around them you just want to say could you just change marriage i mean we all know this marriage is hard i mean we all face storms and seasons and most times the storms pass and and we learn from it and we're more prepared when another one comes we love each other more we're more committed but sometimes a storm is more like a tornado and you think how am i going to survive this But what I want us to see in Abigail's story is everything she is as a woman would apply to you whether you are married, whether you are single, or whether you are divorced. She was a woman living in a desperately disappointing situation, but she didn't allow it to change her. That's what's amazing to me about Abigail's story. But there was one, one life-altering day when everything came to a head, and Abigail was the only hope between two men. One, a foolish, arrogant man, and one, a powerful, angry man. David and his 600 men had taken refuge close to where um, Nabal and Abigail lived. And since they had settled there, since David and all his men had settled there, all of Nabal's flocks had been kept safe. Up until that point, thieves had been stealing his flocks, he was losing money, he was losing his property. But ever since David and his men moved in, they had kept all the robbers away. And so David sends a message to Nabal, 1 Samuel 25 says this, this is verse 4, when David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you and your family and everything you own. I'm told that it's sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your men and they'll tell you it's true. So would you be kind to us since we've come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend, David." Now, a reasonable man would have heard that. They would have been grateful for this man who's been watching out for all his interests. But Nabal is not a reasonable man. This is the response he sends back. This is verses 10 and 11 um, in Samuel 25. For Samuel 25. This is what he says. Who is this fellow, David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread? and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where. So these 10 young men have to go back to David and tell him exactly what Nabal said. And David is furious. He is so angry that he tells 400 of his men, get your swords. We're heading there immediately. He leaves 200 men behind to watch over their things, but he determines that not one single male in Nabal's household will be alive come morning. Now, one of the servants who works in Nabal's house heard Nabal scream insults at David's men. And he knows if he doesn't do something, it's gonna be a disaster. What I think is fascinating is he does not go to Nabal He goes to Abigail and he talks to her. And what she does next shows us the kind of woman she was. Listen to her words. After she says, I take full responsibility, she says, please listen to what I have to say. I know Nibal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay attention to him. He's a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never saw the young men that you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you so far from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nebal is. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I've offended you in any way, but then she goes on to say this, which I think is so powerful. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty for you are fighting the Lord's battles. Don't get caught up in the wrong battles here, David. You are fighting the Lord's battles and you've not done wrong throughout your entire life. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord, your God secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones from a sling. When the Lord has done all he promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. Abigail has made it really clear. She knows who her husband is, but way more important than that, she reminds David who he is. She reminded him, you're called to fight the Lord's battles, not those stirred up by a foolish man. You know, have you ever noticed a fool can bring out the worst in us? Have you ever found yourself getting into an argument and you're like, why am I even bothering with this? There's so much that we can learn here from Abigail's response. She's not pretending that her husband's not a fool, but somehow in the midst of that, she has remained a godly woman who knows that God is in control. And she reminds David, listen, don't let this man Push you into something that you're going to live with for the rest of your life. And do you know what David's response was? I mean, he's got 400 men behind him with swords. They're good to go. David says this, 1 Samuel 25, Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. Can you imagine that? See, here's what I love. You've got 400 men, furious. I mean, warriors have got their swords out. And there you have one humble woman who doesn't just shoot off her mouse, but uses the wisdom that God has given her and it turns everything around. But David literally stops in his tracks, blesses her in the name of the Lord, take the provision that she has brought and they turn around and they go away. Now, when Abigail gets back home, you know who is drunk. So she decides she's not going to tell her husband while he's drunk that she ha- what she has done. So she waits till the morning. And so the next morning, when Abel gets up, Abigail tells him you know what she did. And it says his heart failed him. Scholars say he either had a stroke or a heart attack, and 10 days later, he died. When David heard that Nabal Nabal had died, he asked Abigail to marry him. I don't know how long she was married to that guy, but I know there's something there for us about even when you're in a difficult situation, that you still remain who you are. There's something about Abigail's story that even um, at my age, I'm 62, gave my life to Christ when I was 11. So that's 51 years of the faithfulness of God. But just studying her story again was really challenging to me because you and I know we're gonna find ourselves in places where life is disappointing, where things are not the way we hoped they would be. But what her story shows me is it is possible to be the woman, to be the man that God has called us to be, no matter what our circumstances are. And the only way that that is possible is when we find our strength and our hope and the love that will never fail in Jesus Christ alone. One of the things that compels us here at Life Today, as you know, is the fact that there are children all around the world at this very moment. You might be sitting down to dinner, but there are so many children who are literally starving at this moment. And the very fact that we know that means that we want to say that on our watch, we're gonna change that. Recently, um, Ralph, our missions director, and also Randy had an opportunity to go to one of the places where we see more heartache than we would think is even possible. So I ask you, I know sometimes it's tempting when something is hard to look away. I ask you in Jesus' name, will you please prayerfully watch what you're about to see and then ask the Lord, what can I do? One person, can't change the world, but you and I can change the world for one person. Would you watch this?
2: You know, when you walk through a mountain nutrition clinic, there are a lot of emotions, obviously, heartbreak, the suffering that's here, the sorrow, the sadness, but it's easy to wonder, Where's God in all this? These children are clinging to life, many of them. I know God sees the suffering in this place. I know He sees the affliction. He feels the heart cries of the mothers who have lost children, and of the little little ones who are suffering. She doesn't look like she's doing that great. Ralph, tell me what's going on here.
1: Yeah, sometimes when they bring them in here, Randy, uh, they're so weak and so lethargic, they can't even eat. It's like too much labor for their body to even try to eat. I think the formula is going to work on her. If they can just get her to take some of it in, the intake will be important. I I think she's going to make it. She just looks really difficult right now. I
2: don't don't know what's going to happen. I hope we can come back here. And a year and see her running around and playing. We've seen that thing, that kind of miracle before, because it would be a miracle right now for this one. It would have been better to reach this child before she got to this condition. And that means more mission feeding. That means getting the nutritious soup mix to them before they get malnourished.
1: I don't even know what to say. You can just think, well, that's just one more child in Africa. No, she was somebody's daughter. Her mother loved her. Can you imagine if you were in that position and you had to watch your child physically disappearing before you every single day? And you know, sometimes tragedies happen in terms of a terminal illness and you do what you can, but there's nothing else to do The thing that breaks my heart about this is this did not need to happen. This child died simply because she didn't have anything to eat. And eventually her little precious body began to shut down. So that even when her mother was able to get her to a malnutrition clinic, that little child couldn't even find one ounce of strength to take in the nourishment she needed. We can't allow this to keep going on. If you think of the wealth that we have, even those of us who consider ourselves lower income or who struggle, we still, we don't struggle watching our children die because they don't have enough to eat. And these mothers, so many of them are, they've they've placed their trust in God. They're praying for their children. So here's the thing, I want you and I, this is the 30th anniversary of you faithfully standing with us doing mission feeding, but we need to keep up the work. You know, if we give $30, do you know that you feed three children for three months? I mean, what can you actually do with $30 that will make an impact on a life? $50 feeds five children, 110. Um, I want us to be the answer to the prayers of these mother. Jesus said, Whatever you do for the least of these, you do it for me." So not only are we meeting the needs of these children, answering the prayers of these mothers and fathers and grandmothers and brothers and sisters, but we're actually doing this for Jesus. So please, would you give your best gift possible and for any gift at all, we're gonna send you one of the best books I've read in a very long time death defying face. Peter Pretorius was our partner in Africa for years. He's finally home in glory, but he has left us with a mission to complete. So please, would you go to your phone? Would you call that number? Would you go online, make the best pledge? And if you're going online, would you just call us? If you're sending a check, call us and say, this is what I'm sending today. Let us, let us say in Jesus name, we want this to stop and we are prepared to be the answer. Thank you.
0: In impoverished and drought-stricken areas of Africa, children are suffering. The need is great, and without food, they face severe malnutrition, even death. Through Life's Mission Feeding Outreach, you can save lives by feeding and caring for children currently suffering in parts of Angola, Mozambique, and South Sudan. With previous reserves gone and mission feeding helping in areas with severe crop failure, we urgently need your support to replenish food supplies to reach the 400,000 children who are counting on us. Your life-saving gift of 30, 50, or $100 will help feed and care for three, five, or 10 children for three full months. With your gift of any amount, we'll send you Death Defined Faith, The Extraordinary Life of Miracle Man, Peter Pretorius. This autobiography completed just days before his unexpected death, chronicles the thrill-seeking adventures of missionary Peter Pretorius. You will love reading how God took this ordinary man and performed extraordinary miracles throughout all of Africa. With your gift of $100 or more, request the beautiful Faith and Hope Pen Set, two beautifully crafted pens featuring the keywords of Hebrews 11.1, a key verse for every believer, especially when facing adversity, trials, and challenges. Finally, with your gift of $1,000 or more to help feed and care for 100 children, be sure to request The Bridge of Faith Framed Canvas Print by Thomas Kincaid. Please call, write, or make your gift online today.
3: You know, my heart is just broken sitting here in this cemetery surrounded by graves that are Each and every one of them, graves for children. Little lives that have been stolen by malnutrition, children who have starved to death because they didn't have enough food. It truly breaks my heart, but you know what breaks my heart even more is the fact that we could have avoided this. We could have changed this. We could have stopped these graves from being filled with these little lives. We could have saved these children if we'd just been able to act in time. If we'd just been able to get to their village Take mission feeding and give them a bowl of food a day. I need your help today. I need you to help me to ensure that the next grave doesn't get filled with another child who died for no good reason. Please give a gift of life today. Give the gift of mission feeding. If you can give 30, 50 or $100, you can save three, five or 10 children. 10 children's lives that are relying on you. 10 mothers that are saying please, please give that gift today.
1: Thank you so much. I mean, isn't it great that we get to do this? You know, it's not some kind of guilt trip if we wanna enjoy our life, we have to help other people. It's a glorious privilege that you and I have the honor of being the answer to the prayers of so many. So if the lines were busy, you know, please keep calling. Let's determine that we are gonna be the ones who hear that glorious mandate from heaven to take care of the least of these and gladly gladly step up. And remember, for any gift at all, we will send you Peter's amazing book, Death Defying Faith. And I'd love to send you mine too. It's okay not to be okay. Moving forward one day at a time. And remember, if you need us, we're here for you too. God bless you. See you next time.
3: this will be it for me i mean i had neurologic numbing in my throat and my neck and my arms bone crushing headaches the room was spinning
0: next week life today is made possible by the supporters of life outreach international your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life the ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor the ministry is a member of the ecfa